we were discussing we were discussing what the white fire and the black fire is in the nimshol in the corollary. So the white fire, it's, he says, was this term in Hebrew, hispailus um, elokus, divine ecstasy. Okay, this is the idea. What? This is the idea that um, the soul is moved um, by God in a way that there's no rationalization. It's not that there's something about God that moves the soul, and it's, and it's absolute, it's complete, it consumes the soul, um, either in a state, what's called um, uh, a, a how do they translate this? A delightful love, I don't know what that means. Okay, um, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a kind of a bliss of being subsumed within a sense of God, or alternatively, uh, returning to Hashem in a way that completely consumes you, okay? And that obviously, that is going to depend on the purity of whatever the oil represents, right? You can't have that experience without the oil, just like... The One second, we need to get that. No. You need the oil just like in the candle, right? You actually need the oil for the white fire, right? And that's, that has to do with the purity element of the oil, right? Then we said there's another type of flame, which is the dark flame. And that's the idea that the godly soul is invested in, the divine soul is invested in the natural soul. And it uses the natural human experience as a means to experience a connection through Hashem. That the human reason becomes a means to experience a connection with Hashem cognitively. And human emotions become a means to which we experience Hashem emotionally. And that's the black fire. Okay? Um... And, and if, again, if you think about it, right, what do we say about the black fire? What does it do to the wick? It burns it. It burns it. So what do you think the wick is? The blood. Yeah, the wick, well, I'm going to be more broad. The wick is the, the human being, the person. Why is it not the ego? I hate the word ego. I despise the word ego with a tremendous passion as a useless word. Ego? Yes. It is overly used. Nobody actually knows what they mean when they say it. Um, it's code name for everything bad about your psyche that you selfish. don't want to. Okay, selfish. I'm fine with that. It's a word as long as we tend to know what we mean when we say selfish. Uh, um, okay, you yeah. mean inflating your selfishness? That's what who I mean. speaks? Who speaks German? Okay, Do you speak German? A little bit. Okay. Okay. How do you say it? In German. How do you say I in German? Okay, good. I know. It's awesome. Okay. Okay. Um, what happens if you corrupt those words? You end up with Freudian um, id, ego, and superego. Okay. And the Freudian ego is not the same thing as the selfish ego, which is not the same thing as ego development. In, in, in clinical psycho, in psych, in childhood psychology. No, it just means I. Yeah. Which is so, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a word that. Okay, I didn't wanna like. I, that, I don't use the word, I don't use the word. It, 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 it's destructive in learning chassidus. I'm, I'm I, I think you find better words and better ways of explaining what you wanna talk about. Um, no, because so now going back here, right? You have human intellect, in the physical brain, emotions in the heart of flesh, and those things are being what? They are being consumed with a divine 
sensibility, right? There's a divine sensibility that's coming from the divine soul that is turning those things away from their natural predispositions towards God, right? So that's going to correspond to the idea that the wick is being burned by the flame. But it's by the dark flame. That's right, because the, 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 all of the flame refers to the divine soul. The divine soul, when the divine soul is experiencing oh, that pure divine ecstasy, right? That pure divine ecstasy, right? is the white flight. And that really is a transcendent thing above the regular human psychological experience, which is why you were having such a hard time yesterday wrapping your head around it. And then there's how the divine soul brings a sense of Hashem into the human experience. So it's attached, so really the wick is the Yeah. I thought it was a dark No, the, no, let's read it again. Let's start, from the, let's start from the beginning. The second flame is the dark radiance which burns and consumes. This corresponds to the vesting of the divine soul in the vital natural soul. And that soul stems from Klippas Noga. Klippas Noga simply means ungodly things that can be burned by godliness. In the context of, of um, this discourse, and in many other places, a simple analogy is if divinity is like fire, as the verse says, Ki Hashem, Hashem your God is a consuming fire. Things that are combustible can become fire. But certain things are not combustible, right? So there are certain things which are um, ungodly but can be consumed by godliness. And Kabbalistically, we call those things klipas noga. And certain things which are ungodly and cannot be consumed by godliness, they must be eradicated. So think, if you had water, for instance, right, you would have a problem. You'd have to get rid of the water for your fire to function. Make sense? That's why when you relight the Havdalah candle right after you put it out and the wine, it doesn't work so well. Okay. But klipas noga can be consumed by the, by, the, by the fire. And this is the ecstasy which results from grasping a divine idea with the intellect in the physical brain and the emotions in the heart of flesh. Okay, so in other words, the fact that it moves you is coming from where? From the divine soul. But it's taking place within the regular human experiences of reason in the brain and emotions in the heart. Okay, so you have a mixture of two elements. My mind is functioning on a human level. My heart is functioning on a human level. And yet I'm being moved in a way that only divine beings should be able to be moved. Okay? And so that's the idea of one soul being vested and taking over and consuming the other soul. Um, the heart has a natural heat for the inclination of man's heart is evil from its youth. It is drawn after any evil desire. Now, our emotions are naturally drawn, drawn towards evil. Now, Yes, it's a verse. It's all just neutral? No. There's no, 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 no. No. That's a very pernicious idea. Don't ever believe what? that. Pernicious. An evil idea that gets into people's minds and it's very hard to get rid of. The idea that, there is an, that, you, that your mind or your heart or any part of your psyche is like inherently neutral is like a very, very evil idea. It doesn't say we're inherently evil. It doesn't say they're inherently evil. That's very different. That's right. Yeah. We're inherently biased towards evil. We also have a part of ourselves which is inherently biased towards good. There's no in between. But the meters aren't specifically part of either side of us. It's something that's controlled. No, no, the meters are not. A human being's emotions are naturally predisposed towards evil. Now, 
if you would like me to develop this idea, it goes as follows. The human being's natural desires are not oriented towards God. They're oriented away from God. Now, if you continue down that path, where do you end up? Right. So in other words, evil from a Hasidic point of view just means things that are ungodly. But if you keep going that way, you end up with what we would call like moral evil. Okay. So if you think about it, for instance, um, this is like the plot of a lot of literature, right? A person making very reasonable decisions out of understandable self-interest ends up causing a corruption of their spirit and they become like a horrible person. Um, that, that, that's, not be, that's because that the, the desires and inclinations of a person are towards things that um, end in hell and therefore end in, end in hell, you know, like the place of, you know, where yeah. evil goes to be destroyed. Specifically, our minds? Our minds are less predisposed to it, yes. Are they predisposed to holiness or no? Only the godly soul is predisposed to holiness. Okay. By the way, that, that also, that, 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 that idea is used both in the Torah as in justification for eradicating human beings as dangerous, that's pre-flood, and also as a reason why God should be more compassionate, less judgmental about human beings, because not like they can help their predispositions. They can choose their behavior. We can choose to control it. That's why being me is still being me. Okay. It's very dangerous to think that, that we, we have this kind of neutral thing because then you get the sense that you can shape things and, change, and it doesn't work. You're always working with a pre-existent nature. Okay. Sometimes when the power of the bad feelings becomes dominant in material desires without any arousal of tshuva, then the divine radiance in the soul can be completely and utterly darkened. As is written, the lamp... All right, I was doing this in Hebrew. That was so much more fun. Okay. Okay, so he says like this. When a person's desires towards material things overcome the person without any subsequent arousal towards tshuva, what happens to the light of this divine soul? It goes out. It goes out. So think you've got, a, you've got your wick, right? And you've got the dark fire. And what happens if instead of absorbing oil, it's starting to absorb water? What's going to happen to that flame? It's going to jump, jump, jump. What happens when we become into it? Notice he doesn't say behavior, I like to point out. This has nothing to do with what you do. What happens where we are in an internal state where material desires have taken, have taken over how we feel about things? What has how happened to the light of the soul? It is gone. And the opposite is also true. When the power of the divine light of the godly soul overcomes the natural soul. When a person has intense, fiery desire for Hashem alone, they find evil disgusting. And to subdue their heart that they shouldn't be drawn after any foreign desires whatsoever. In other words, there's a battle on the emotional plane. Okay. Then. So what we're seeing is just like there's a question about you have the flame and you have the wick and the flame can jump and go out, right? And you need something to hold it there. So what are we saying? That your natural human tendencies, right? The natural soul, its desires are towards evil. And the godly soul wants us to be moved towards God. 
And if one thing is trying to um, consume the other, there's a question, right? Just like the physical fire, is the fire going to consume the wick and stay there stably? Or is the fire going to jump and go out? Is it going to catch and burn? Or is it going to be repulsed? And you, we experience that in our lives when we shift from being consumed with material desires versus desire for God. Okay, now I want to point out um, that this, he, he's making it very black and white. Right? Either you're, either you're um, the person has um, the material desires, right? Or the ecstasy for God. What I would like to do is I would like to um, talk about a, a different idea, which is an important idea. There are many things that exist on a spectrum, and yet there is a clear dividing line between them. Okay, I'll explain to you what I mean. Um, if you think about black and white, and then you have a grayscale, right? We can still say there is a point at which that it is lighter versus than darker, right? So I can say, yes, there's a grayscale between black and white, but I can still say that point is when it shifts to being lighter than darker, right? In other words, the, the entire balance of things has, has, has moved from one side to the other side, okay? This is an idea that's developed in Hasidus. I don't want to flesh it out too much, but I want us to take class idea here. There are degrees of your soul being, you're, you're being taken over by the materialistic desires and there are degrees of, as he puts it, the, um, the excitement of fiery flames of longing for God alone and despising evil. But there is no gradual space between those two things. You're either in one or you're in the other. Now, if you're in one, you could be one more or less. You could be in the other more or less. But the line between them is a very clear line. Okay, so now what does that look like? I call this my magic wand test. Now, this is the, this is the, this is the space where the, where the ecstasy of the, of the divine soul is at its lowest point versus the space where a person's um, being taken over by animalistic desires is at its weakest point. Like that, where's the border region? And I call this my magic wand test. If God gave you a magic wand, what would you use it for? Would you use it to make permitted, holy, pious, whatever religious word you would like to use, godly, the thing that you're already predisposed towards? Or would you use your magic wand to get rid of that predisposition? Would you use your magic wand to take that predisposition that you have, that desire that you have, that tendency you have, and get it to be considered to be godly and holy? Or would you use your magic wand to get rid of it? If you would use your magic wand to somehow, yes, now this thing that I already feel predisposed to doing now is considered to be holy, pious, spiritual, whatever, well then really, what are you being consumed by? Your materialistic desires. If on the other hand, you would just go on to get rid of it, it's because really what, uh, 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 really what is important to you is only your connection to God. There's just parts of you that you can't so easily detach yourself from. Wait, is getting rid of the desire or getting rid of the thing that you want? Desire, the desire. What? This is all internal. So. Please say it again. 
Okay, so I mean, I'm not going to say we give an example. Because when you say things in the abstract, and then you give an example, and you go back to abstract, it becomes clear. Okay, let us say I have a desire for ice cream. Now, do I wish that somehow there was a mitzvah to eat ice cream? Or do I wish that I just never had desires for ice cream? So if that's the case, then God, my desire for God is, 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 the, is the kind of the, the thing that I'm grounded in, right? And this other thing is a nuisance, is a bother, the desire for ice cream, right? And I would like to be rid of it. On the other hand, if I wish that somehow there was a mitzvah to eat ice cream, <laughs> then basically what I'm saying is that like, I, I don't want to necessarily go against God, but I'd like God to conform to like, you know, the materialistic life that I have. Now, ice cream is a silly example. It, it, it's a costless example because we can think of all sorts of human reasons to think that ice cream is not the greatest thing in the world, right? What happens when you move it, what happens when you move it to things that are more fundamental to human nature? I don't care how we're put in this world. This isn't how we're talking. Not, we're not talking about God's intention for creation. We're talking about the psychological state that a person's in. Would I rather be able to free myself of the need for anything ungodly or would I prefer that those godly thing, those, those things be somehow considered okay from God's point of view? And what does that mean? What are we, that means what are what what are we what what's so what's happening is the is the is the flame is the dark fire stably burning the wick or is the dark flame being pushed off the wick? Okay. Now I can go all the way to an extreme that I feel such an enthralled desire with God that I literally, even the depths of my subconscious, have no desires for anything other than God. And I can go all the way to the bare minimal that it's just like, I wish these parts of me didn't get in the way of what I really want. And there's a whole range in between, but they're all on the side that the desire for God, right, it, it, it is my personal sensibility and Whatever natural predispositions the heart normally has are now seen as something disgusting, a bother, a nuisance, something that has to be subdued, contained, removed. That's how the person experiences it for themselves. And conversely, if, if, you're, if God has to fit into those predispositions, well, then the dark fire is being pushed away. It's not consumed. But then there's no use of the wake or the oil. Well, exactly. We're just talking about the two different states. Like, and he's saying is that there's this both of these can be possibilities, right? So, and sometimes it's like this and sometimes like that. Sometimes we enter stages in our lives where we feel more one way and sometimes we enter stages in our life where we feel more the other way. This is like yeah. Petters. It's the same exact thing because like people could look for ways that to make something they want to do okay versus look for a way to do something in accordance with God if in their situation they can't. Right. In other words, when, in other, this is an important thing, that, that the difference between, there, there's two kinds of ways of looking for a, a, a halachic leniency. One way of looking for halachic leniency is that you, as a human being, feel that this should be allowed. And the other is that the Torah has indicated that, that allowing this is the preferable option. And out of deference to God, you're doing it. Those are, and those are two very different psychological states. If you're not in the second, you're not entitled to make halachic rulings. Yeah.
I gather this is a like litmus test to decide for yourself if you actually want the right reasons or not. But let's say if something is already a mitzvah, so Hashem put in your nature like a desire to get married or whatever. Like, how do you go off those desires and know that it's for a mitzvah or not? Okay, take that example. So the, the, what I'm going to tell you is like this. People are holistic. I'm going to tell you two things. Number one, people are holistic. When you start playing around with one thing, you can mess things up. You don't start by dealing with the most fundamental issues. You start by working on around the edges, things that are more malleable, things that are more... And a person grows. So a person who, who's, who holistically, in a way that, that, that it, it, it's... It's genuine and it's stable. And we're going to talk about that. Can it get to a point that, yes, their whole sense of their desire to get married can be coming from a very different place than, than is the normal human tendencies? That's true. But if you artificially try to, like, impose that upon yourself, um, like, tell, oh, I really, should, I really should desire to get married because God said so. And, and the answer is, like, no, you shouldn't do that. It's an excuse for why you have this attraction, like, when it's not... It's not about excusing yourself. I want to be very clear. None of this is talking about behaviors. We're talking not like behavior. Like none of this text is talking about how you act. Yeah, we're not talking. In other words, if you want to know how to behave, open up a shulchan aruch and do what it says there. What this is talking about is, you know, uh, moving the, the the soul of the person, the experience of the person, to be closer to God. Okay, so yeah, I mean, if if I feel the desire to get married and raise children, the same as some gentile. Well, then, yeah, in that experience that I am having, there's nothing, there, I'm not close to God. My, my soul's not a candle of God in, in that sense. That's true. Can I magically just make it that way by force of will, right? No, but I do, but I do want to make it that way. The first thing I need to be honest, it isn't that way. Again, separately from this, and, and, more, and since it's more important, later on it goes into this, is that I certainly have to conduct myself in marriage and raising children in accordance with God's will, regardless of my motivations. Like, that, like I said, that's not... How do you get there in a genuine way? Well, the point here is that you're not creating it. There's, there's two souls. And so, so, there's, so the idea is that if the fire of the godly soul can actually burn the wick of the natural soul, then slowly but surely you will start to feel that way. Yes. But now the question is, how does that happen? And we already know that that's going to require the element of oil. Right? That can't happen on its own. We need the... Right, just like just like in the just like in the analogy, it does the fire black fire burn the wick stably without oil. So too, if you just have your godly soul's capacity to be moved by God, and you try and imbue that into your human psyche, is that going to create any a stable state? You can't create oil. We don't know what the oil is yet, even. Yeah. It says in the text, it jumps and disappears. I know that part of the text. It jumps and disappears. Just like if you have a wick and then you that oil and you light it and it doesn't, it doesn't catch. I mean, sometimes happens with Hanukkah candles and the oil doesn't go in properly. Okay. Venimtza. So it comes out. That even the natural uh, physical intellect and emotions... They experience a kind of divine ecstasy. 
they are transformed from evil to good to change their natural negative tendency from one extreme to the other like by virtue of the light which burns and consumes them like the way the dark fire burns the wick as we said above this is called the flame of God this is the um, divine comprehension that moves the person to a flaming desire uh, for, uh, a divine desire okay now notice what he says here is that this this comes from developing an awareness to God that only your soul can provide. It doesn't come from telling yourself it's, you're having the wrong motivations. Right? It doesn't, and it doesn't come from telling yourself to have the right motivations. This flame is called the flame of God. Who has, in other words, it, it comes from the soul. And it consumes the, the heat of the, the, of the foreign heat of the, of the evil that's naturally within the fleshly heart, little by little. In other words, the more our soul gives us a, a meaningful sense of God in our minds, then we have a real human desire to be close to him. And as a result of that, the evil tendencies of the heart are slowly but surely burned away. Okay? If that's happening stably. If it's not, then the whole thing. Ukumay shanroim b'chush. And just like we see in our actual experience, the minute someone is moved with a, 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 um, a passion and a sense of attachment that's divine, it moves them in their natural um, intellect, in, in their heart and their mind, in their, their, natural, their, their natural tendencies, their natural experiences. They're moved genuinely on the human level. But it doesn't last very long. Okay? In other words, if you have a deep, meaningful engagement with Yiddishkeit, with Judaism, in a way that really touches you and speaks to you, right? it can move you. And it moves you not just on some kind of spiritual level, intellectually, emotionally, but what happens to that sense? It goes away. Why? One second. And right away it disappears. Sometimes it lasts a little bit longer. Now go back. What do we know in the analogy? Why does the flame catch and then go out? Or last a little bit and go out? What's missing? This is because of a lack of oil. Because the body, by the way, in Hasidus, when we say the body, we often mean the body, animal, soul, natural tendencies as a package deal. We don't just mean the physical flesh. Just one second. So because the body is like the, the wick, Meaning the body and the, the natural soul. And the light is the divine light of the soul. And that's like joining the form with the matter. Um, but in order to join the form with the matter, you need the oil. So I, I want to explain to you what, what's the novel point that he's saying, and then I'll let you ask questions. So there's a concept called matter and form. So let's take a very simple example. I have a cup. The cup is made of plastic. The plastic is the material, and the form is being a cup. And I can mold the plastic into being. Can I mold my human tendencies, my human psyche, my fleshly existence 
into a divine experience? And the answer is no, I can't. Because the form, the form here is like the fire and the material that's holding it is like the wick. And what do we know about the fire and the wick? What happens if there's no oil? It either consumes it completely or it advances and goes out. So because here, it's, because here the form and the matter have a certain kind of attention with each other, there's a notion of the form consuming the matter, there needs to be this other element of play called the oil. And this is a mistake that a lot of people make spiritually, is that they think they can work on themselves to become more godly. And what he's, what he's saying is, you can't work on yourself to become more godly. In other words, like this, if you train yourself to think in a godly perspective and to care about godly things and conduct yourself into a godly manner, will your godly soul present itself within your regular human experiences? It might, but what's going to happen very quickly? It's not going to last. It cannot last because it's not like cup and plastic. It's like fire and wick. And fire either completely destroys the wick or flickers and goes out. There needs to be this other element. And interestingly, that element that allows the dark fire to take place is also that, that element, the, the oil, has another aspect to it which allows that if the dark fire is sufficient, that the white fire emerges and hovers over it. So the oil becomes critical to the entire process. It's not enough to have a godly soul. It's not, an, right, that, that can experience God whether purely in the sense of the white fire or through the human conscious, you know, human regular tendencies as in the dark fire, you need this other element called the oil. We don't know what that is, but fortunately we have chapter three. Mm-hmm. Yeah? I have a question before of what we said of, like, if the white flame doesn't have the dark flame, then it can exist? Correct. Does that look like if someone tries to get rid of their animal desires completely, then the holiness has nothing to latch on to. No, it means if someone tries to get rid of the, not, if someone tries to get rid of the human, the the, the very human experiences. In other words, like this. There's a, let me give you an example. I'm going to give you a, no, no, I'm going to give you a very concrete example. Okay. Um, one thing that really disturbs a lot of people is that when they read Tanya, they learn about like the complete sadhik and his animal soul is completely transformed to good and all he desires is God. And then you give examples of a perfect sadhik. Um, I'm going to give, I'm going to use this example, but you could use other examples. Let's give a perfect example. The Rebbe, the Rebbe is an example of a perfect sadhik. And then you hear a story about how the Rebbe like missed his mother and like throws people off because like, well, I mean, if he's, all he cares about is God, why is he missing his mother? I mean, the Rebbe really missed his mother. You know how we know the Rebbe missed his mother a lot? The Rebbe didn't see his mother from 1938 until 1947. He left the Soviet Union. She got out after World War II. They met in Paris. To The Rebbe went to Paris to arrange to um, bring her to America. And when he saw her for the first time, um, he gave her a hug, and I think they say that he just stood there hugging her for, I think, 20 minutes straight and let go of her. So that sounds like very human, right? So how do those things fit together? And the answer is, there's a structure to the human psyche 
We love our mother. We want our father to be proud of us. We, we, things need to make a kind of logical sense for her. Right? There's a structure to the mind that exists in the brain and the emotions that exist in the heart. They have a tendency to pull us away from God. But that structure, if you eradicate that structure, you don't have the dark fire, right? The dark fire is how that structure becomes consumed with a sensitivity and, 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 and for God, with a, a, a divine sensibility. So, so therefore, any human experience which can be a mode of experiencing God becomes that. And you can't, you're, you, you, I mean, you could, you can destroy your psyche, but it's a bad idea. To destroy your psyche? I don't know what people do before chassidus, but I'll tell you what people do now. Is a lot of times people feel that if I should become more godly, then I have to like develop some sort of um, antagonism towards fundamental characteristics of being a human being. So like, well, human beings need to feel safe. So if I'm going to be like very devoted to God, I should like, you know, not care about my personal safety and don't worry about how risky something is and just, you know, dive on head first. Or I should, you know, be very cold to all of my natural familiar connections so that I shouldn't be like distracted from God or stuff like that. And like, that's not going to accomplish anything at all. And it wouldn't either look like, I don't want to say it in English, but Kleisen Nefesh. This is what Kleisen Nefesh is. Oh, it is. This is Kleisen Nefesh. In a good way or bad? Good way. Kleisen is not always bad. There's bad... bad way, it would be getting rid of your life. No, no, no. Bad way is a different thing. I don't want to go into the bad way. Why is this good? Because it's good. That's, you know, your soul is a candle of God, as it's supposed to be. But you're removing yourself from the physical world. Clayson doesn't mean The word clayson means that your soul is consumed. That's all it means. It's not a synonym for dying. One could theoretically die if the experience is too intense. That is true, but that's, that's not the that's essence of it. That's what I thought it meant, like... No. Your like no, 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 no. Okay, yeah. As before, the, you read the need for oil in the paragraph. Like, I thought you were saying that the more our soul, like, connects with the sky and moves us in a physical way. Like, first, how you're saying that you can't work on yourself uh, to... You can't work to more, more to become a more godly, correct? What, 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 what? Like, I wrote, I really have sense in my notes. I wrote that you were saying, like, the more our soul connects, like, with British or anything, and it moves us in a physical way, then, like, the spark won't go out. What do you say? I don't remember exactly. Okay. Well, the point that I was trying to make is the idea that you can work on yourself mm-hmm. to somehow make you more, self more godly mm-hmm. is not going to work because it's not like matter and form coming together in a way where the matter naturally contains that capacity to instantiate that form, like plastic in a cup. It's like the way a wick can instantiate the fire that burns it. And, and that doesn't work without the oil mediating between the two. So unless we know... Well, wait, so, so, so it's not that you shouldn't work on yourself, but working on yourself will never work in and of itself. You need this other element called oil. So you need the oil both to get the dark fire... And you need the oil for the dark fire to bring about the white fire, right? So any, any stable manifestation of our soul depends on the oil. And that pure manifestation of the soul depends on that more complicated manifestation with, through, the, through the natural human experiences. Okay.
39. However, the read. What? Now, right now. now the printout, if, if there's printout. 39. 39. What? No. Page 39. Come on. There's a bunch of, like, you know, summaries and introductory stuff. I'm just reading the actual text of the Bible. So the, the reason for the connection of the fire to, of the light to the wick, Hashemin is the oil, so that the light should hold on to it for an extended period of time, and for it to have both colors, love and v'shachar, the dark and the light canals we said above, the goof, so too with the soul, again the soul means the divine soul, and goof, body means the body, natural soul, the, what I like to call the human being. Sha'al yedei bechinas Hashem is through the quality of oil. Shu bechinas chachma. There's something called chachma, and chachma is the oil. Nice achibur or dinasham beguf that facilitates the connection of the light of the soul of the body. Bechol kecheseha in all of its faculties. Bekiim hadlakas man rav that the kindling can continue for an extended time. Matam and alpha reasons we said above. So we need. So there's this quality called chachma, and when you have chachma then you can bring a divine sensibility into your mind and into your heart. And if the Chachma is pure enough, that can elicit a, a kind of a pure sense of Hashem that transcends and goes beyond the human mind and human heart. We can't choose our Chachma. Well, apparently we can, because if we couldn't, work, if we couldn't do anything about our Chachma, what would be the point of telling us this? Uh, that Hashem decides... No, there's nothing in Chassidus like that. Hasidism is all about is all about guiding our service of God. Telling us stuff that we have no control over is not is almost never going to be part of Hasidus unless it's to tell us this is not like the thing you should be working on or focusing on. But Hasidus almost never talks about that. It's very rare. Okay. Fine. Um, now. The Indian hoop. The idea is like this: Kiddu de b'chinas hachachma shebenefesh shalokis who anikra kayachma. The chachma in the divine soul is called kayachma. What does kayachma mean? The power of what? Selflessness. What does? It's the power of what? It's the power of what? It's the power of what? The word ma means what? And kayach means power. What? What is it? We don't know. It's just we didn't finish reading. I don't understand why you're getting... Like, why don't you finish the book before you decide it goes in circles? There's two ways of understanding how I conference and this is the idea of, well, how do they translate this? Utter abnegation. Okay, we'll go with that. That's reasonable. Utter abnegation. Negation. Non-being. Yeah. 
to the divine nothing. Ayin Elokim is the divine nothing, which is beyond reason. That afterwards its power extends Bebina into the understanding. Okay. What is the divine nothing? I'm sure they have a footnote on this, do they? Yeah. She's chapter one above. Okay. No, the word I means an exalted spiritual level, the spiritual essence of. Okay. Okay. So, what we're going to do is I'm going to try and explain this. Okay. Um, this is a starting point towards the explanation, not the full explanation. So we're going to start like this. Um, I want you to remember something beautiful that you have seen. You remember something beautiful that you've seen? Remember what it looks like? Yes, we're all on the same page? Yeah. Okay, now, I would like a you... Anything that you have actually physically seen with your life that you would describe, when I looked at that, I saw that, and it was beautiful. I don't care what it is, but there was beauty there. Good? Okay. Now, you saw it with your eyes, right? You saw that beautiful thing with your eyes? Yeah. Okay. Was the beauty red or green? What? Green, how the well, if you saw something, you saw that beautiful thing with your eyes, right? So your eyes saw the beauty. No, did you? The did beauty the, isn't a the beauty didn't. Have, did the beauty? No, uh, the, the beauty was red. Yeah, because I'm envisioning um, autumn leaves in the mountain in Utah, and they were green and red. And I didn't were, ask you about the thing that was beautiful. I asked you was the beauty. The beauty, beauty. No, because yeah. the beauty was the way you interpreted no, the thing that you saw. This is a. This is this is this Can is a. Repeat that again. I'm not asking you about the thing. That was beautiful. Mm-hmm. I'm asking about the beauty. It's not a thing. Yes, it was. You can't explain beauty. The beauty. Now, in case we're confused, is it possible for someone to see the exact same thing that you see without seeing the beauty in it? Yeah. So, in theory, I could see those leaves the same way you did. I have the same visual experience and I don't see the beauty. Mm-hmm. Which means... That the beauty is not, like, it's not that I have a blind spot, it's not that I'm colorblind, right? All the colors and shapes that you see, I see, and if I'm not seeing the color, I'm not seeing the beauty, and you are seeing the beauty, that means the beauty is not in the perspective. Okay. Do you want me to teach you or not? Yes. Okay. There's a reason why people have a very hard time with Hasidus, and it's because they think they know what they're talking about. <laughs> they lack bittle. Okay. If I look at a murder, and I don't see that that murder is wrong, is that because there's something wrong with me or because the wrongness of murder is a matter of personal perspective? Okay, so it is fundamental, it is fundamental to monotheism broadly, Judaism specifically, Jewish mysticism especially so, that the murder is wrong. If you don't see the wrongness, that means there's something 
very good. This is not just true about the wrongness of murder, it is also true about beauty. There is a notion of that things actually possess beauty. They instantiate beauty. If you can't see the beauty in it, there's something wrong with you. If you see beauty where there isn't, there's also something wrong with you. This is like, this is very fundamental to the metaphysics of Judaism. I can't hear, there's two people talking. No, 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 I don't think it's, I, I mean, because I don't know. Because Bannon became like a theme multiple. I don't know, I, I don't know. I mean, this depends on you, what? The second part of it. If you don't see the beauty, there's something wrong with you. And if you see, and if you see beauty where there isn't, where there isn't. there's also something wrong with you. That makes sense. Okay, so now, well, this that's is. Part of, that's something that's wrong with you, it's also part of it. I don't care, but it, so, now, the, so now this is interesting. You remember that beautiful thing, right, that you were remembering seeing? You saw the beauty, but you didn't see the beauty because the beauty doesn't look like anything. I want you to stop and ponder that. Like you really need to stop and ponder that. When you see something beautiful, you, you're, you're seeing the beautiful, you're seeing it. And yet the thing you're seeing instantiates the beauty, embodies the beauty, but, but the beauty isn't, doesn't look like that thing, you're, that thing that you see. There's some other thing that you are, I'm gonna use the word seeing again. You are seeing more than what you are seeing, right? You're seeing the physical scene, the physical object, the physical entity, the physical event, and you are seeing in that this other quality called beauty. What does that beauty look like? It itself, what does it look like? Nothing. What, what did you say? Nothing. That's right, it looks like nothing. It looks like nothing. But it is. One second, let's continue. When you see someone doing a moral act, like a truly moral act, do you see the morality in it? And again, if you do, if you can, if someone is, if like for instance, someone is hurt and someone goes out of the way to help them and you see the goodness of that act, then you're, that, 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 then you're right, okay. So did you see the goodness? Yeah, no, no. But you did, but you didn't, right? So what is the goodness itself? But that's because they're, they're messed up. There's something wrong with them. But you're not seeing the goodness, you're seeing the act that they're doing, and you in your mind know that that's good. No, no. This is, this is, that's different. That's different. If you in your mind know that that's good, then there's going to be a disconnect. There's going to be, there's going to be a disconnect. The way you can see this is like this. Think about... Um, is anyone here um, willing to be described answer some questions about the process of going from not being keeping kosher or not keeping Shabbos to keeping kosher, keeping Shabbos? Sure. Okay. So you remember when you like start with kosher, you start with Shabbos, there's like this, there's this kind of like labeling sense of everything. Oh, this is a, am I allowed to do the Shabbos thing? I'm not allowed to do the Shabbos thing. It's kind of a self-referential thing, right? Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know you, so maybe this hasn't happened yet, but often at a certain point, there comes to be a point where you just start to have a different sensibility about things. And so it seems off to do certain things on Shabbos. And it's not even that you're referencing anything in Shulchan Aruch or that you ever necessarily even learned that that thing is wrong. It just seems wrong, right? So you see the difference between having a sense of the thing versus 
versus making reference to information. So if you see someone stopping and helping someone and you, you see that as a good act, not you, not you, you learn to categorize it as such. Yeah. So are you seeing the goodness? Yeah, but does the goodness look like anything? No. It doesn't look like anything, right? Okay, now, here's the thing. Is the goodness or goodness and beauty the same thing? Yes. In the sense, yes, because they're universal. Like, they're universal. Uh, no, are they the same thing? No. Is the thing that makes no. the beautiful thing beauty, no. beautiful, the same thing yeah, that makes the good yes. thing good? Yes. They're both no. nothing. No. One second. They're, they're both nothing in the sense they don't look like anything physical, but are they the same? No. Is no. the thing that makes the beautiful... No. One second. Is the thing that makes the beautiful thing beautiful, is the beauty, beauty itself, the same thing as moral goodness? Yes. Really? Does that mean every time? Listen, does that mean every time you see something is morally beautiful, it is necessary? Every time you see something is aesthetically beautiful, assuming you're correct, it necessarily means it's morally good. So they're not the same, right? They are conceptually different, right? But what do they have in common? Let's go one step further. What do they have in common? Let's go one step further. They're universal categories. They both look like nothing. No, no, let me. No, no. What they both have in common is that when you see beauty you feel like there isn't something intrinsically positive about it. When you see something morally good, you have a sense that there's something intrinsically positive. So now, that intrinsic positivity, one second, that intrinsic positivity, what is that, how do you conceptualize that? Notice how I move from what it physically looks like to how you conceptualize it? You can't, it doesn't, you can't conceptualize it as beauty because you also find it in morality. You can't conceptualize it as morality because you also find it in beauty. So which one is it? But which one is it? This is really hard. I mean, very clear. This is really, really, really hard stuff. And this is the easy part before we get to what Chassidus saying. This is the prerequisite to understanding the Chassidus. We're not at the Chassidus yet. So you really have to do this along with me. Okay? I now have two different ideas of things. And even not ideas. I too have two have different things. Beauty and goodness. And they're there, they're in, the, they're in reality. But they're not the same thing. But they have something very fundamental in common, probably the most important thing about them, which is that they have an intrinsic positivity to them, an intrinsic goodness to them, right? So that intrinsic goodness, is it beauty? Is it morality? It's neither, right? So we went up to another level of nothingness. Do you see what's happening? It's not just that it's not, it doesn't look like something physical. It's not even something that has a defined con- concept to it, right? Now, what if I keep going in this direction? I'm getting closer and closer to nothing. To nothing. But that nothing is the ultimate. Something. That's right. No. <laughs> no. That's no, not God. Oil. That's God. That's God revealing Himself. One second. Okay. Okay. Now here's the thing. What does it feel like to encounter beauty? It feels like it feels good. Could we say it's pleasurable? Okay. What does it feel like to encounter morality? Feels good. It's kind of pleasure in that. Okay. So what is it about the beautiful thing? that makes it pleasurable. It's the beauty in it, right? What is it about the morality? The morality in it, right? But then you go one step further. Is it really the, is it, is it the beauty as beauty and the morality as morality or it's that in positive element to it that, so that positive thing. In fact, the only reason we call it positive, 
We don't even know what it is. All we know is that when we encounter it, 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 it makes us feel so positive and draws us so much in. The only thing we can describe it is as positive. But we don't actually know. Right, okay. This is what we mean when we say that God is the source of all pleasure. It doesn't mean that God creates things that you enjoy. It means that the only thing that's actually enjoyable, really, is God. And if some sense of God somehow gets through something, that thing will have a positive quality. Again, if, if you're corrupted, then this whole thing gets messed up. So we're talking, assuming there's no corruption taking place. Nothing is messed up in the process. So now, let's think about what happens to a person when they are experiencing something positive. When you see something beautiful, describe the effect seeing something truly beautiful has on you at the moment you're seeing it, not afterwards. Not after it's gone. Captivating. It's captivating. That is a very good word. I like that word, captivating. It is captivating, right? Now, if it's captivating you, you must have the capacity to be captivated. Right? For instance, a rock is not captivated by the beauty, is it? No. So even though it has the quality of being, ca- of being ca- captivating, you have to have the quality that you could be captivated. If you don't have an intrinsic sensitivity to these things, they wouldn't captivate you, would they? Make sense? Yeah. So now, what do we call the capacity to be captivated by the ultimate nothing in a way that you are totally captivated by it? Chachma. That's Chachma. The power to be captivated by that I and L-O-Q, that divine nothingness. Now here's the thing. When you're captivated by something, what happens to the other stuff that was on your mind? It goes away. So if you have the power to be captivated... Having the power to be captivated entails the power to let go, the power to surrender. You see how it entailed, right? How, like, you know, it's not just the negation of what was, it's also the connection to something else, right? When you're captivated by something beautiful, right? What ends up happening is you lose yourself to it and the other things that aren't part of that melt away. But you have to have the capacity for that kind of experience to happen. And that capacity of the divine soul is called Chachma. And that's the oil. It's that quality of our soul that's going to serve as the oil. And somehow we have control over that power? We have control over tapping into that and utilizing, getting into access to it and getting in the way of it, etc., etc. We don't... One second, one second, one second. One second. That's a separate discussion. We all have it to some degree or another. The thing is like this. Just like having oil doesn't automatically mean everything is working because I need to get the oil in the right place in the right way. Okay. Similarly, I'm gonna, it's not that you have power. You cannot just, it says this quickly in Chlis, you cannot just will yourself to Chachma. And think about that. Can you will yourself to be captivated? But can you will yourself to live life in a certain way that your natural sensitivity to be captivated by beautiful things manifests? Ah, so that's how the... That's what you have control. We have control over the quality of our oil. So 
well, maybe, 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 well, maybe there are things that we do that 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 decrease its quality, and if we stop doing those things, but the essential quality of the oil we can't change. Right, but, but the training is around the issue, right? You can't, you can't actually, you, know, you can train yourself to live a life which is more conducive to so I we the Chachmah. Yeah. And then once the Chachmah is there, you can now work with yourself on the basis of that Chachmah to produce the dark fire and then possibly even the white fire. But if that Chachmah quality is never happening and you're kind of bypassing that, it's never going to work. You need the oil. Yeah. Oh, we don't have powers. What? Didn't we say that the idea of powers is like... You said God doesn't have powers. But we do have. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Wait, You can, you can, absolutely. But then, but then, how is it, like, does it work with Chokhmah, or does it... Like, I'm not, like, I'm not, all I'm going to tell you is that these things are discussed in Chassidus. They're actually, they're discussed in Chassidus, but they're discussed before Chassidus. Like, that topic is something that Chassidus takes from Kabbalah. And, yeah. Ka- and it's already discussed in Kabbalah, the, how that works. I'm not going to go into it right now. In other words, you are right, that if you want, if, that, 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 that if you wanted to do this process fully to get, you know, to, to contemplate from our raw experience of the world as we experience it, all the way up to, to the Ayin the, 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 the divine nothings as it truly is, we would need to account for these kinds of negative universals as well. That is true. I'm not going into it right now because that wasn't the point of the, the exercise. The point of the exercise is to get what we mean when we say nothing. Nothing um, is, in this sense, is, it doesn't. It, it it means it's more it's beyond, real. It's beyond moral consequences. I understand that. I understand that. But like when I'm thinking about Chokhmah, I thought it was it would destroy. Like it would like I don't know. I don't know how to say it. Destroy this whole scheme leading up to the Chokhmah. But if it's not. No. No. Now there's different ways Chokhmah works. I mean, that's all. Okay. That's a whole. Thing. Okay. What's very important to understand is that the more iron something is, the more nothing something is, the more real it is. I'm not going, you, you keep pushing that, I'm just not going to talk about it. I, just, I was using that as an exercise to get to what Chassidus is, is about, is talking about. And Chachma is not the ability to understand what I said. Chachma is to be captivated, the, the openness, but not a passive openness, an openness that allows you to be captivated. Even creating space is not the right word. It's you become... The word she uses is very good, to be captivated by it, to be enchanted by it. Chachma is you become, the, the way the Rebbe Shah puts it, you, you're, you're given over, and he says very clearly, it's not something you decide. It's not engaging with something. It's, 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 a, it's, a, it's, it's a deep receptivity that pulls you out of yourself. It pulls you out of everything other than it. Every Jew, what makes their godly soul godly is it's Chachma. Yeah. Um, you said that if, as you go up in levels of nothingness, you get something at the end. Are you going to talk about that? I, it's more something in the sense it's more real. I don't want to go more into that right now. Like, like, I, I, mean, like I could talk for hours and hours on this topic. I mean, this is... Yeah, this, I just, it's, just, it's just hanging. You know, yeah. I'm just 
Basically, I'll tell you one thing is this. I said this is God revealing himself. So Hasidus says that what's deeper than God revealing himself? God being himself. And being himself is called yesh. That there is. It's called yeshamiti, the true being. Um, I don't want to go into that whole thing. And so there's a whole discussion. Are we trying to get to the iron? Are we trying to get to the eight? I don't know. Is this why ideas and knowledge is more true than Physical things you see, yes, assuming that they're true ideas, not so corruptions of ideas. That idea of That's right. That's also why ideas are more true than feelings. Why? Why are feelings less nothing? Because feelings are contextual. Think about Experience? it. No, they're they're context dependent. There's no such thing as a feeling on its own in the way there is an idea on its own. In other words, if something is right or something is wrong, is, okay, that can, we can say that in a certain sense, that, that is fundamental. Whether you are happy or sad depends on what actually just happened. And the things that are the context of the emotions are the, the ideas. Right. So the grounding, the, right, 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 right. That's exactly right. Since human emotions derive from the intellect, where there's, when the intellect is clear on something, the emotions follow in suit. It's only when our intellect is all confused our emotions go haywire. So we're not against Yeesh, as long as it's yeah. coming from nothing. Yeah. That's what's happening. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, good? Yeah. So, this is, so this is Chachmah. I just want to read a little bit more. Okay. And, and, and they get this, this idea that it's above reason is that it itself is pulling at you. It's not that it makes sense to you and that's why you're drawn to it. That's why you're captivated by it. Right. And then what happens, notice it extends into Bina. It's at that point, you can now, you're missing the most important part. It's at that point you actually have a godly comprehension. Now it's like this, if you learn something about Hasidus or about God, and you understand it, you're not having a godly comprehension. You are being a theologian. You are using your human intellect to study this idea called God. But if you have some sense of chachma, and then you start making sense and grabbing hold of that cognitively, then your then your comprehending is a, is a divine comprehension. In other words, it's the way the soul makes sense of God, not the way the human being makes sense of an idea. And shehein yud and that's the letters yud and hey of the soul. Remember, we said that whether it's the yud and the hey was the chachma, the being of the divine name. The yud is the chachma, and when that experience of chachma being captivated by a sense of God. Because something that you can be cognitively mature about, make sense of, be articulate to yourself with, right, etc., 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 then not only is your, not only, not only is, 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 is there, is there the, the, the chachma part, there's also the comprehension part, and those are the first two letters, kiyodua. The first letters is my name, the yud is the chachma, and the hey is the bina. This is what is hidden within in potential, within this, even the smallest spark of the Jewish people. To become, to, 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 to become nullified, to be surrendered, to be moved completely from your place 
by godliness, right? As you put it so nicely, to be captivated by God fully. That's called the the power of man, the neshama. That's what we're referring to as the oil. Like the oil that flows through the wick, which is the body. And now he's going to the idea, what is the idea that the oil is flowing through the wick? That this sensibility flows through our humanity so that we're moved to what? To go away from our self-absorption, from away from our materiality, to be moved by God rather than the things that normally move and sway a human being. But that that happens within the human's experience of life. Uh, um, broken. The idea here is that one should be broken. Um, right. So, so, so the, 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 there's a brokenness that comes from encountering things that are very far beyond. And, and there's a kind of tragic reality of the tension that that involves. That comes after yeah, in other words, you're not breaking yourself to get there. The bit will cause a certain brokenness. There's a, s- sad. No, they're not sad. Sadness is different because sadness has an element. Right, there's a brokenness. What I, the way I like to call this is, a, is, that, is that any experience of chachma is bittersweet. It's sweet because you're captivated by God and moved by God. And it's bitter because there's... It makes you acutely aware of the, of the ungodliness that exists. It's not, that, it's not about you are, that exists. It may be in you, it may be outside of you. It doesn't really matter. And within that, it can be more bitter than sweet or more sweet than bitter. That's also true. Absolutely. Like this is, and this, this is why in Yitzhak Kislev, we always talk, I don't know if you, you spoke about this, how about Yitzhak Kislev is about oil? Did you hear about this? So the altar went to prison. How do you get oil? Oh, squeezing. Squeeze the olives. How did the chassidus get out of it? How did the Alter Rebbe start really, really giving chassidus? By being crushed through the... You know, the chassidus is the oil. Chassidus is not the ideas. Chassidus is a... It's a way of thinking and a way of being and a way of learning and a way of living and a way of all these things that brings out this part of the soul. self-teaches you to also crush so Chassidus teaches you how to facilitate that. Could he have gotten that any other way than nope. being in Nope, nope, So nope. you really, that had to be a divine orchestrated yep. situation for him to be able to be in that situation, yeah. right? Yes. Um, so before, we were talking about how the flame is fleeting if you have this, like, inspiration from your human intellect. And then this is different because it's... Um, well, yeah, why does so, it last long? Wait. <laughs> You have this lasting flame because it's this understanding from Bina, from the soul, not from the intellect. No, what was before is that you, if you experience being moved by God in a way that doesn't come from Chachma as it then radiates through Bina, then it's not going to last. But did you say something about the Bina is not actually in the human intellect? It's just in the soul? No, 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 no. It's, 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 the, the, the hard thing here is that we're talking about very subtle things and so the wording becomes like very tricky and like people are trying to get the wording right. Why do you understand certain things? And the interesting question is not 
why do you understand certain things? But why do you understand certain things and other people don't? And other people understand things and you don't, right? There's a weird subjectivity to understanding. And it's not because people are stupid. It's because understanding ultimately means it makes sense to you. So now, there's a way in which an idea makes sense if you're like just dealing with the like logic of it. But then there's a deeper thing. Does, it, does the reality of what you're talking about actually make sense to you? So like if I give you like a whole great philosophical argument as to how like we learned previously, like, you know, how only God exists. Like, you can understand the argument. You think about it, it makes a lot of sense. But it makes sense as a nice idea. It doesn't make sense that that's actually the way the world is. Right? Well, why not? Because a human, that can never make sense to a human being. Who could it make sense to? To a divine being. So the fact that it can make sense in that kind of way, that it really makes sense to you that this is the way reality actually is, that comes from the godly soul but it's taking place in the normal human cognitive process. But that can only happen if it's an extension and a continuation of the chachma sensibility, that chachma sensitivity. Otherwise, you're just gonna be left with the idea is a very intriguing idea and it makes a lot of sense and I have good arguments for it and then that's the end of it. And then when you try to impose it upon yourself in life, it doesn't work. Conversely, if you just have like an encounter with your soul that's not mediated by this chachma flowing into Bina, it, you're gonna have like, it's just gonna be like fire without oil. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So that's what you're saying, the last Yeah, all right. Should I say something controversial? Yeah, sure. Do you know why it's so central in Hasidic culture to go to a tzaddik? Not just because he has chachma. Remember we said that you don't have direct control over your talent. Like, I'm now gonna have chachma. It doesn't work like that. But you can do things that facilitate chachma. Okay, what is one of the things that is the most quickest and direct way to get a profound sense of the chachma? To encountering someone whose entire life is an embodiment of chachma awakens the chachma within you. And that's why people would try, what? Well, because what that means is now actually seeing a human being of flesh and blood becomes central to your sensibility and sensitivity to God. In other words, it's not so much, it's not so much that, this is why it actually was controversial when in Chabad the idea of the Rebbe teaching Hasidus came about because the main purpose of the tzaddik was not to teach you was that because he embodies the Chachma fully, when you encounter him, it wakes up the Chachma in you. And so it's about actually going and encountering the human being. And putting a human being in that kind of central position in our sense of God is controversial. So then why does he teach? Oh, the idea in Chabad is because, because the, the idea in Chabad is what we just learned, that because it's, he, what he wants is that the, the Chachma should be something that flows through you rather than just you encounter it, you have it, and then it disappears. Like, to put, to, one of the opponents of the Alta Rebbe said um, that, um, you know, too much oil drowns the wick. So they want to just the initial spark, and then... And then if that fades, come back to be in the presence of the tzaddik. What? Yeah.
unless you're canceling class. Okay. Good? So that's the 